Thank you, Woodlawn, for that incredible singing of the truth of Scripture concerning who God is and what He has called us to. I'd like to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and look with me this morning to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 will be in verse 8, 9, 10, and 11 this morning. You'll forgive me this morning in that my throat has been off this week, uh, but don't take any hope in that uh, we'll have a shorter sermon today. It might just be a quieter, a quieter sermon, okay? Not a shorter sermon. Exodus chapter 20. If you're visiting with us this morning, let me add my words to those of Pastor Travis and extending a welcome to you. It is our habit at Woodlawn to take books of the Bible and to preach through those books of the Bible. We're in the book of Exodus right now. And we do that because we believe that God has equally spoken to us through His Word, through the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the words of Jesus and the New Testament are as much the words of God as those we're reading this morning here in Exodus chapter 20. And if we want to know who is God, we must know Him through His Word. So we give ourselves to the teaching and preaching of the text of Scripture. Exodus chapter 20, we come to what most of us understand is the fourth commandment, and perhaps no other commandment in these ten proposed such difficulty or controversy among the people of God than the fourth commandment. Exactly what is God requiring? As he says, remember the Sabbath. A controversy does not arise from understanding the Sabbath from the context of an Old Testament standpoint. In other words, it's rather clear what God's anticipation and expectations for the Sabbath were for the nation of Israel. And then we get into the New Testament and we wonder what in the world are we to do in light of ourselves being New Testament followers of Christ with this command. Throughout church history, the church has viewed this fourth commandment in a variety of different ways. In the early Christian church, the first through the fourth centuries, there was a diversity of views regarding the Sabbath. Some of the early Christians continued to observe the Jewish Sabbath on Saturday, considering it a day of rest and worship. Others were influenced by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and began to worship on Sundays. They began to observe, as we'll see later in Revelation, the Lord's Day on Sunday, celebrating what Jesus has accomplished for those who by faith have trusted in Him, the resurrection. Over time, the observance of Sunday became more widespread in the early movement of Christianity, and the Christian Sabbath shifted almost completely to Sunday for the majority of Christianity. The second period of time would be that through the 5th through the 16th centuries, the medieval and the Reformation periods. During this period of time, for example, the Roman Catholic Church emphasized the importance of Sunday as a primary day of worship and rest with the understanding that it commemor commemorated both the resurrection of Jesus and the creation story. We'll see that narrative today from Exodus chapter 20, the creation story. 
However, during this period of time, there were strict rules that were put into place. And the Sabbath was considered a day for religious observance rather than a day of personal rest. During the Protestant Reformation, some reformers such as John Calvin, Martin Luther continued to emphasize the importance of Sunday, but also de-emphasized the strict Sabbath observance of laws, allowing for more freedom in how the day was spent. Following the Reformation period, there was a group of people that we call the Puritans. And from the Puritans, we get a view called the Sabbatarian view. The Puritans were in England in the 17th century and later made those, their way into America, and they are known for holding this strong Sabbatarian view. They believed in a strict observance of the Sabbath, prohibiting other secular activities and promoting a day of rest and worship. These restrictions included refraining from work, leisure activity, and even strict regulations on clothing. Of course, that might not be a bad idea to return to today. That is, strict regulations on clothing. The Sabbatarian perspective influenced the development of Sunday blue laws in various regions. I can remember being a kid uh, and few pockets of the country, nothing was open on, nothing was open on Sunday. I remember Eric and I, when we got married, we went on our honeymoon and where we went, I remember stores being closed on Sundays. For sure, we relaxed some of those blue laws and that then moved into at least the no selling of alcohol on Sunday. Some of you are young enough to remember the blue laws. Some Christian denominations today, such as certain branches of Presbyterianism, can continue to hold to a more rigorous Sabbatarian view while others have adopted a more flexible approach to Sunday observance. To illustrate this, I'd like to just briefly note two confessions of faith, that of the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is a Presbyterian confession of faith formed in the 17th century, and that of our own, the Baptist Faith and Message that was first adopted in 1925, went through a revision in 1963, and a further revision in the year 2000. The main difference between the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 concerning the Sabbath lies primarily in their interpretation and application of Sabbath observance. The Westminster Confession of Faith, for example, generally upholds the observance of the Sabbath on Sunday, considering it a day of rest and worship, which they find to be rooted in the fourth commandment. The Westminster Confession of Faith emphasizes the importance of keeping the Sabbath holy by refraining from worldly labor and activity, and by dedicating the day to worship, rest, and spiritual pursuits. Listen to this quote directly from the Westminster Confession of Faith. Quote, this Sabbath is to be kept holy unto the Lord when men after a due preparing of their hearts and ordering of their common affairs beforehand, do not only observe and holy rest all the day from their own works, words, and thoughts about their worldly employments and recreations, but also are taken up the whole time in public and private exercises 
of his worship and in the duties of necessity and mercy, end quote. The Baptist Faith and Message 2000 was a statement of faith adopted by the Southern Baptist Convention as noted just a few moments ago. Baptists have historically observed Sunday as the day of worship. While the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 does not specifically mandate Sabbath observance or prescribe regular Sabbath regulations. Baptists have generally, when it comes to this conversation, held to the principle of the freedom of conscience, understanding this concept flowing from Romans chapter 14 that we'll observe in just a few moments. They've held the principle of freedom of conscience in matter of faith and practice, including the observance of the Sabbath. Individual Baptists and Baptist churches may vary in their views on Sabbath observance, with some emphasizing the importance of gathering for worship on Sundays, while others adopting a more flexible approach. Listen to this quote from the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. Quote, the first day of the week is the Lord's Day. It is a Christian institution for regular observance. It commemorates the resurrection of Christ from the dead and should include exercises of worship and spiritual devotion, both public and private. Activities on the Lord's Day should be commensurate with a Christian's conscience under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, end quote. The Westminster Confession of Faith provides more specific guidance on observance of the Sabbath, while the Baptist faith and message allows for greater diversity of interpretation and practice among Baptist congregations. And I am convinced of this truth this morning. That all of us, for example, will walk away with a firm conviction in the truthfulness of the first commandment, that we should have no other God before us. We'll all agree to that. Every one of us will walk away from a right understanding of the seventh commandment, do not murder. I don't know of anyone in favor of murder in this congregation this morning. But I am completely convinced that a host of us will leave from here today disagreeing with half of what I've said today. Yet humility calls each of us as brothers and sisters in Christ to be very careful in how Scripture tells us to be cautious and how we cast judgment on one another when it comes to these conversations. You might find it interesting that there is no evidence of observance of the Sabbath before we get to Exodus chapter 20. The first hint of a Sabbath in the Old Testament actually occurs in this narrative in Exodus. You might remember Exodus chapter 16, the nation of Israel had come out of Egypt and they were wandering around in the wilderness and they were grumbling about food. And what does the Lord do for them? I'm going to provide for you food for six days. And on the sixth day, you shall gather double enough for the Sabbath. There's a hint in Exodus chapter 16 that something might be coming in relationship to the Sabbath. While there's no evidence that Israel observed the Sabbath before Moses. This isn't necessarily true of the rest of the commandments. For example, we can go to Genesis chapter 4, and we can understand that murder is wrong. We don't have to wait to Exodus chapter 20 to figure out murder is wrong. And nowhere 
in either the Old Testament or even the New Testament are Gentiles commanded to observe the Sabbath. How do we then as New Testament believers understand this fourth commandment? I'd like to spend the next few moments in an exposition of this text in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11. Would you hear the word of the Lord? Remember the Sabbath day. Dedicate it. Our English translations say, keep it holy. Verse 9, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourners who is with you, with you within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. You'll notice from the very beginning of this commandment, this fourth commandment begins unlike any of the other commands. The other commands begin with a negative. Notice this command, it begins with an affirmation. It begins with a positive. And what is that positive? It is a positive call to Remember, you see that in the text, verse 8, remember the Sabbath day. What does it mean to remember? Well, you guessed it right. Remember. A fancy Hebrew term. To remember or to call to mind. One Old Testament linguist noted that the verb does not refer to a mere recollection, but includes the consequences or actions the memory demands. So what is God calling us to do in, in this text of Scripture? Not only to remember, but all to, also to recollect in our hearts and in our minds the actions that this memory demands of us. This verb is often used in the text of Scripture in the sense of remembering the law and the commandments with the idea of doing them. For example, in Numbers chapter 15, verses 39 through 40, the text of Scripture reads this, And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord, to do them. And then listen to this, to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. So you shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to God. In other words, God is saying the Sabbath is not to be overlooked. The Sabbath is not to remain unnoticed. What does the Sabbath mean? We understand, remember, recall this to mind, understand the importance of this day, but what does the word Sabbath mean? Shabbat in Hebrew occurs more than a hundred times in the Old Testament, Primarily, you won't be surprised in this, in passages that address the observance of the Shabbat. The verbal form of Shabbat means to cease, to do no work, to stop, 
Thus, it is no surprise from an Old Testament standpoint that the Sabbath is a day when a person suspends or ceases his normal routine or labor. Now we'll see, we're not going to look this morning specifically at this, but we'll see even when we get to the New Testament, Jesus ends up doing six miracles on a Sabbath, and it causes a lot of problems. You remember, he healed a man, a guy's withered hand on a Sabbath, and the Jews were very concerned about that. And what was Jesus ultimately teaching us? Well, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, but this commandment to cease is not a commandment to cease doing things that are necessary for life. Even though there would be a number who would take this commandment to extremes, the Lord isn't, for example, causing you or saying to you, you can't eat on the Sabbath. If you fell off your wagon and you broke your leg, the Lord isn't saying that you couldn't go find a doctor in the community who could help you with your broken leg, right? It's not a command to cease from doing everything. A cessation from doing good. It's a cessation from, it's a stopping of doing work, labor, the normal. So remember, the Sabbath cease. And then notice what the text of Scripture says there at the end of verse 8. Dedicate it. Literally in the Hebrew our translations say make it holy. The word dedicate comes from the root of the word kadosh, which means holy in Hebrew. So the Lord is literally saying to the nation of Israel, dedicate this day. Set it apart. Why? It's a, it's a u- unique day. It's a day that belongs to the Lord. Why are we to remember by ceasing by dedicating. The Lord will tell us why we are to do this in verses 9 through 11. The Lord wants us to respond in this way for the purpose of rest, and he grounds it in creation. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do work, and who shall not do work? Everyone, your family, your friends, your co-workers, uh, people visiting you, those passing through. Why? Verse 11, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. In Exodus chapter 20, the Lord grounds a call for his people to stop, to reflect in creation. When we set aside the Sabbath, we are responding in the way that our almighty maker of the heavens and the earth has responded. We are acting, if you will, in that way like God himself. We are doing what God himself has done. We are resting. But you might find it interesting, if you flip over with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 5, that when we get to Deuteronomy chapter 5, and we get the second of the uh, giving of the Ten Commandments, there is 
a difference in the language when it comes to this fourth commandment and why the nation of Israel is to observe this fourth commandment. Look at verse 15 of Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15. You shall remember what? That you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. So notice what happens as the nation of Israel are preparing to go into the promised land, the land that God would give them. The Lord gives them the Ten Commandments again, and in this fourth commandment, he tells them to remember this because they are a redeemed people. So what are we doing with the Sabbath? Why the Sabbath? The Lord is giving to his people the Sabbath, a day of rest, so that in that day of rest, we might worship, and we might worship as a group of people who are celebrating a God who has redeemed us from our sins. God, in his kindness, has woven into the very fabric of creation a moment for you and I to lay aside the busyness of our lives, and to focus on who he is and what he has accomplished for us. How do we get an understanding of months? You can answer. Where do we get a concept of a month from? The moon. Thank you. Thank you so very much. We get the concept of a month from the moon. Where do we get the concept of a year? The sun. What happens in a year, year's period of time? Earth goes all the way around the sun, right? Where do we get the concept of a day? The rising and the setting of the sun. Where do we get the concept of a week? Creation shows us a day. Creation shows us a month. And creation shows us a year. But only God gives us a week. The seventh day. And what are we to do on that seventh day? Do what God has done. Rest. Rest why? For the purpose of worship. Worship why? Because we are a people who have been redeemed. Redeemed from our sins. The most mentioned commandment in the Old Testament is what commandment? The fourth. The most mentioned commandment in all of the Old Testament is the fourth commandment. Neglect of this command led Israel, for example, into exile. See 2 Chronicles chapter 36. Nehemiah 
seem to understand the observance of the Sabbath as being paramount for Israel's continued existence. We read in Numbers 15, for example, that one who did not observe the Sabbath, Sabbath should be what? Executed. They should be stoned to death. The, day, the Sabbath was a day of worship. When Jerusalem was positioned as the place of, of God's city, the, the place where the tabernacle was built, worship commensurated on the Sabbath in, in Jerusalem. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 3, reminds us that the Sabbath was a day of worship. Isaiah chapter 1 reminds us of the important role that Jerusalem would play in the worship of God's people on the Sabbath. Many Old Testament theologians believe that the Sabbath was considered a sign for ancient Israel. In the same way that the rainbow was a sign of the Noachian covenant, circumcision was a sign of the Abrahamic covenant, so was observance of the Sabbath a sign of the Mosaic covenant. You understand the importance of the Sabbath and the concept of the Old Testament. But what about the New Testament? How does the New Testament understand the Sabbath? Look with me real quickly at a few passages of Scripture. Notice with me in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, we have Jesus. And notice what Jesus is doing on the Sabbath. And when he came to Nazareth, Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his what? As was his custom, his, his habit. What does Jesus do? He, he goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read. Look with me back in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verses 9 through 14. This is the story of Jesus and the man with the withered hand. What does Jesus do on the Sabbath? Look at verse 9 of chapter 12. He went on from there and he entered the what? Yeah. On what day? The Sabbath. Paul himself seems to observe the Sabbath. We can trace Paul's actions through the book of Acts. And on numerous occasions, the Bible records for us that Paul went into the synagogues on the Sabbath and we also get this same language, as was his habit. Paul had the same habit of Jesus, of observing the Sabbath on, in, in the regularity of his life. Yet, when the apostles and the elders are going to send a letter to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 15 about the things that they are to uh, be bound by, what we notice is that they're writing to them, they do not bind for their conscience and observance of the Sabbath. In other words, the Jewish apostles do not mandate for Gentile believers observance of 
the Sabbath. Look at Acts chapter 15, verses 28 and 29. Acts chapter 15, verses 28 and 29. This is the rendering of what the church thinks the Gentile believers should follow. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do what? You will fare well. Paul, in writing the book of Romans, at the end of the book of Romans, is going to have something to say to the church as it concerns its unity, and he's going to have something to say about the Sabbath. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 14, verse 5. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the other one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives himself, and no, none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be both, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Paul making a plea to the church as it relates to unity, a church in Rome, a church that had both Jew, Jewish believers and Gentile believers, that they be very cautious in the mandates that they are placing on one another, and to remember that the Lord has created every day, and He is the Lord of every single day. So how do we, how do you and I, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, how do we walk in faithfulness to this fourth commandment? As do all the commandments, so does this commandment. The Sabbath ultimately points us to Christ. The Sabbath in several different ways serves as a type of Christ. So what is the intention of the Sabbath for you and me? The New Testament seems to give us wisdom for how you and I can also walk in faithful observance of this concept of a Sabbath. How do we do that? One of the ways we do that, friends, is by making this day the first day of the week a priority in our week to join together in collective worship of the living Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we see the early church doing following the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Look in Acts chapter 20. We're going to look at three quick passages of Scripture. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. 
on the first day of the week, when the church had done what? When they were gathered together to do what? Break bread. By the way, normally the concept of breaking bread in the New Testament is a reference to what? The Lord's Supper. This would seem to be a passage of Scripture that is communicating that the early church was more than likely weekly observing the Lord's Supper. So they've gathered together the first day of the week for worship. Look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, says to them, on the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And by the way, another reference to one of the aspects of worship that was regular in the life of the church was giving. We should come to church with an anticipation of giving. And then Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. John is reflecting here on the vision that the Lord had given him. And notice when John tells us he receives this vision. I was in the Spirit on what day? The Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying. One of the ways that you and I can walk in faithfulness to the Lord is by making Sunday a priority in the lives of our week. D.A. Carson is a well-known, prominent evangelical theologian. He's actually written a, a work, a compilation on this on this, com on this conversation entitled From the Sabbath to the Lord's Day. How do we understand the Sabbath and the Lord's Day? Uh, D.A. Carson offers some insightful perspectives on the Sabbath that emphasizes fulfillment in Christ and the balance between legalistic observance and heartfelt, wor heartfelt worship. I'd like to note a few of these as ways that we too can walk in obedience to this concept of the Sabbath. Carson warns us that we should strike a balance between legalism and heartfelt worship. He reminds us that we should be very cautious about reducing Sabbath observance to legalistic rules and regulations, yet at the same time of reducing the Sabbath to being nothing more than another day in the life of our week. He advocates for a balanced approach that honors the Sabbath's intended purpose of rest, worship, and renewal. He stresses the importance of maintaining a heart of sincerity and devotion in Sabbath observance rather than merely adhering to exter external rituals. Secondly, we find the Sabbath's fulfillment ultimately in the person of Christ. And Carson, like many other New Testament observers, point us to that text of Scripture that we read a few moments ago in our worship during song, to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. 
Friends, the Sabbath, as I mentioned just a few moments ago, is intended by God ultimately to point us to the person of Christ, as is all of the law, and we hear that from Jesus himself. Jesus is the fulfillment of the entirety of the law. Paul would tell us that Christ is the telos, the end of the law, in Romans chapter 10, verse 4. Everything about the concept of the law is pointing you and me to Christ. Oftentimes we can get consumed with the legalistic expressions of, oh, they didn't do just that just right. But what Carson is reminding us is ultimately the intended purpose of the Sabbath is to point us to Christ. For in Christ, friend, that is where you and I find our true rest. You will never rightly observe the Sabbath and live your life apart from the person of Christ. You can have no rest in life separated from Christ. This is what Jesus would mean when he compassionately called those who were weary and overburdened. What did Jesus say to them? Come to me. And what does one find when they come to Christ? Rest. This day has been intended by God to point you and me to Christ. And the word of warning would be for you and me to minimize everything on this day that distracts us from Christ. If this day is intended to point us to Christ, be careful in engaging in activities that continually pull us away from Christ. And ultimately, Carson would remind us that this day is intended to point us to the ultimate fulfillment of this passage of Scripture, as Paul or Luke was writing in the book of Hebrews. Yes, our rest today comes in Christ, but friends, our rest as believers will not be fulfilled here on earth our rest will ultimately be fulfilled when Jesus Christ comes again. So this day points us to that day, a day of ultimate rest. Does this day point your soul and your life to the return of Christ? Are you using this day to focus your heart and your mind on Christ and the hope of his return? How do we ultimately follow Christ, the text of Scripture, the command of God, and observing the Sabbath? Let me give you a few points of application to help us understand how we can walk faithfully in this Sabbath. One, embrace the Sabbath as a gift from God. Friends, it is a creation principle that God has created us to work for six days. It is only a recent American invention that we should work 40 hours a day, five days a week. The biblical principle of work is six days. Don't be lazy. The least lazy people in all the world ought to be Christians because we labor not for our own purpose, but for the glory of God. Work hard, friends. In fact, Paul warns us that if you are a lazy person who refuses to work, 
you ought not eat either. Work hard, but rest well. Celebrate this day as a gift for God, for you and me, as a day of rest. Friends, our bodies need a day of rest. Our minds need a day of rest. And our hearts need a day focused on the person of Christ and his accomplished work on our behalf. Embrace the Sabbath as a gift from God, not as a legalistic burden, but a time of spiritual renewal, rest, and worship. Don't neglect the Sabbath in our fast-paced, work-oriented culture. Prioritize intentional rest and devotion to God. How do I do that? Make this gathering a focus in your life. The exception ought not be going to church in your week. For too many of us, what we're looking to do is see if we can find a time to actually squeeze this day in our week. The way you and I can rightly walk in faithfulness and observe what the Lord has commanded us is to make missing church the exception. Say, Pastor, I love professional football. Well, number one, shame on you. But I love it anyways. I get it. Does that mean I can't miss a Sunday to go to an NFL game? No. If you miss church... Next, I don't know, when does NFL start? September. If you miss the first Sunday of September next year because you're a diehard Saints fan and you skip church to go to the NFL game, I'm not going to write you a letter and say to you, you're terrible, you're in sin, you need to repent. I don't think missing one Sunday out of the year is an indication that you don't prioritize Sundays. But can we be honest, friends, at what happens? We go to the Saints game the first Sunday in September, and two weekends later, LSU's playing in Alabama, and four weekends later, it's your birthday weekend, and six weeks later, it's your anniversary weekend, and two weeks later, it's Junior's birthday, and three weeks later, your nephew's getting baptized at a church across town. Four weeks later, your child is playing in a sports tournament in Dallas. Uh, three weeks later, it's finally vacation time. It's Mardi Gras. And you're going to Disney. Do you get my point, friend? And before you know it, you look back and you reflect on your year and what you understand is Sunday has really not been a priority for you at all. I'm not advocating, friends, that you can't miss a Sunday or that you're missing 
a Sunday because you're going to watch a child play in a sports tournament on one weekend is sinful for you. But I am saying to you, where's your heart? What's your desire? What's your focus? What are you prioritizing? Prioritize the gathering of the people of God. Let missing Sunday be an exception, not the rule. And parents, be very careful what you teach your kids. What you do in moderation, they will do in excess. If Sunday is moderately important to you, it won't be important to them at all. Prioritize Sunday. Prioritize a moment of rest and reflection in your life. This should include refraining from unnecessary work and dedicating time to spiritual growth, personal reflection, and spending quality time with your family and friends. Prioritize fellowship and the building of community in the body of Christ. In addition to attending worship services, use today as a day to build relationships with the family of faith. Invite other brothers and sisters to your home for a meal. Fellowship with God's people. Join us on Sunday evenings for small group gatherings and times of fellowship. How do we neglect this? In the ways that I've already mentioned, neglecting rest and reflection, an overemphasis on commercial activities, ignoring corporate worship, failure to prioritize, failing to prioritize spiritual growth in our lives. Woodlawn, what do you prioritize? How do we know what we prioritize? You prioritize what you do. You prioritize what you value. You prioritize what you plan for. You prioritize what you make time for. You prioritize what you give yourself to. And the question for you and me, friends, is... Are we giving ourselves to Christ? Are you making time for Christ? Are you making time for rest? Do you value rest? Do you value worship? Are you, are you planning for the next month what you're going to be doing so that you can make sure that you're, that you're here I was encouraged this morning, a family walked in and told me, Pastor, we were spending some time with friends out of town, and, and we really wanted to stay. It was late last night. Do we stay, or do we go home? They made a decision to come home so they could be at Sunday school and worship. That's a way to honor the Sabbath. What are you doing? You're prioritizing it. You're preparing for it. 
You're giving yourself to it. Give yourself to Christ. Rest in Christ. Worship Christ. Glorify Christ. Make much of Christ Woodlawn. And in doing so, we will faithfully walk in observance to God's fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath. Dedicate it for rest and for worship. Why? Because we worship a God who redeems. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the joy of knowing Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you have granted to us in your wisdom, woven into the very fabric of creation, a day for for your people to come together and to worship and to rest, to reflect on Christ. So we ask God that now by your Spirit, you would enable us to do that. Would you spend a few moments, friend, where you're seated today and reflect on the preaching of God's Word? Friend, if you're here and you've never trusted in Christ, you've never believed in Jesus, we would urge you to trust in Christ so that the benefits of the Sabbath might be yours. Say, how do I trust in Christ? The Scripture says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Friend, where you're seated this morning, you can make a confession. God, I believe Jesus is Lord. The Bible also tells us we need to repent of our sins, to turn from those. Lord, I believe Jesus is Lord. Forgive me of my sins. I trust in you. If that's you this morning, would you trust in Christ? For those of us that are here and are believers, would you spend a few moments reflecting on your life today? Are you prioritizing the concept of a Sabbath? Or is today just another day in the psyche of your week? Nothing holy about it? Nothing dedicated about it? If that's you, would you ask the Lord to help you reorient your life? Friend, would you purpose where you're seated today to make today a priority in your life? To make gathering with God's people a priority? To make worship a priority? In just a few moments, we're going to stand and corporately respond to the preaching of God's Word. As we stand to sing, perhaps you're here and you have questions about what it means to trust in Christ as We sing, myself and Pastor Travis will be standing down front. We'll be glad to share with you how you can trust in Christ. Perhaps you'd like one of us just to pray with you that the truths of this text of Scripture might be evident in your life. We would delight in praying for you that you would make the concept of a Sabbath a priority in your life and in your family's life. And thirdly, maybe God has impressed upon your heart that this is a congregation in which you need to be connected to live out your life on mission with him. This would be an opportunity for you to express your interest in being part of this faith family. God, as we respond to you now, we ask our response might be pleasing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we sing?